Hello, fine people. Welcome to Cerebral Flex, episode 33, fun number. This is the magic in quantum mechanics. Um, so, you know, we always talk about animism and philosophy and uh, pseudosciences and quantum mechanics has uh, experimentally been proven true. So it's, it's where... Like, it's like pseudoscience, but not. Right. It's very theoretical. It's very theoretical. We'll, well say yes. That. I mean, there's <clears throat> still things that haven't been proven, but there's yeah. a lot of experiments that have proven many things. Right. You like know, they like, well, and even like common things, like now they believe gravity is a wave, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. I like mean, things, we're, we're, we're trying to find the gravity particle, which would be amazing. That would be, it would be amazing. And it's an interesting theory oh. for sure. We're closer with the Higgs boson. But anyway, I digress. So let's tell people what this <laughs> is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into it. All right, get go. into it. So first off, I can't uh, get into the possible magic of quantum mechanics without giving a brief history of how it came to be. So quantum mechanics is the study of objects in the micro world. Um, so we live in the macro world, things you can see. Um, we're ruled by Newtonian physics, um, uh, laws of motion things like that. Um, think of atoms, though, and subatomic particles. And we've, we found that those particles move differently than uh, things in the, the macro world that we live in. So um, envision that you want to cut a piece of anything, just an object, smaller and smaller forever. Um, would you be able to do it? Or would you eventually come to some thing? Uh, the Greeks thought that you would eventually have to stop at some type of particle and they thought of it as a grain. Um, and that it was called atomos, which is grain and uh, which uh, means indivisible. Atomos means indivisible. So you finally got to this piece of object that you can't cut into any smaller pieces. Um, and that's where we it derived atom. Um, and scientists later found that atoms were comprised of protons, electrons and neutrons. Uh, they later found out that protons were composed of two up quarks and one down quark and, you know, uh, neutrons <laughs> are composed of two down quarks and one up quark and they have a fermion spin. So like a partial spin, not a full spin. Um, but anyway, I'm going off course. Uh, first they thought, uh, the atom had a planetary type structure, like a solar system. Um, and if you didn't know. Going back to the atom, proton has a positive charge, the electron has a negative charge, and the neutron has no charge. Yeah, um, you guys should remember that from high school. Middle school, or I don't know. Yeah. Um, then they found that they were actually spherical. Um, they were comprised of orbits of electrons. The way the electrons move have waves, and um, they basically move at ridiculously high speeds, almost the speed of light, and it looks like a ball when you're looking at an atom. Because um, everything is is cyclical and it's it's spherical. It's interesting. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, and then we learn to play with these things. <laughs> yes. Um, we're now directing things called neutrons. So the smallest bit that we've uh, gotten down to is a uh, uh, neutrino, which is the um, uh, they're a tiny particle that only interact with the weak nuclear force and gravity. And they're the lowest non-zero mass particle we currently know of. So we're playing with the small, smallest particle we are aware of right now. We're throwing billions of them 
1,300 kilometers or 808 miles from Illinois to South Dakota. And we're uh, using detection plates underground and seeing basically how Earth's or not Earth's planets and stars are created, uh, which is amazing that we can even do this. And yeah, uh, many things were tested using classical physics. By the way, that's called the Dune Project, Deep Underground Neutrino Experiment. Uh, and it's done by Fermilab, Batavia, Illinois. It's it's called the Dune Project. Dune, yeah. I fucking All caps, love nerds. Yeah. I love nerds. Yeah. Um, look that up. That's great. Yeah, and, uh, don't look up the brand new movie, Dune, because that's something very different. No, look up <laughs> Dune Project at Fermilab. And it'll blow your mind. Um, many things were tested using classical physics and for a while described reality in an acceptable way. But physicists in the 19th century, so 1800s, uh, were trying to determine the spectral composition emitted by a body in relation to its temperature because they'd found that all tangible bodies in the universe emit electromagnetic radiation. Like any body, you and I, we emit infrared electromagnetic radiation. Everything emits some uh, thing on the, the bandwidth of the spectrum. Uh, the first phenomenon in which classical physics failed us emerged with the idealist, idealized and hypothetical black body. So a black body has to absorb all electromagnetic uh, radiation that strikes it. If you think of this thing, it has to uh, absorb all radiation that hits it. Um, so you and I, we absorb only certain parts of, say, the sun light or any light. Um, and then we reflect the remaining light that we can't absorb. So whatever light is hitting us that's not on our uh, on our part of the spectrum that we can absorb, we can only absorb what what we can. So uh, a black body number two has to stay in thermal equilibrium at all times with its surrounding, meaning it has to have the same temperature as all the uh, bodies located within the same system from any angle at any time. And according to classical physics, a black body would have to emit the same amount of light with each frequency. So they came to a conundrum. Uh, the higher the light's frequency, the more energy it has. Frequency and energy go hand in hand. Uh, energy equals Planck's constant times frequency. So frequency and, and energy are one and the same in a way. Um, but anyway, I digress. So a black body would therefore emit huge quantities of energy in the form of high-frequency radiation infinitely. Um, so that would make every single object in the universe immediately emit all of its own energy in the form of light from the ultraviolet spectrum. Uh, and luckily, they were wrong and uh, needed something else to explain this mess. And I was that called the ultraviolet catastrophe, I believe? I believe um, so. Yes. Huh? I believe that's what it was. Yeah. And um, physics uh, physicists were forced to admit that classical theories were wrong and called it, yeah, the ultraviolet catastrophe. I should just stick to my notes. Um, then came my homie, Max Carl Ernst Ludwig Planck, or Max Planck. Uh, I just Max, think I've heard you speak of Max Planck very often. He must be your homie. Yeah, for real. I love him. <laughs> he was great. Uh, he's dead, but he, he was great. Um, and he said that all, uh, bodies do not, um, emit electromagnetic radiation continuously, but via small packets called quanta. So if you ever heard of 6.626 times 10 to the negative 34th joules per second, um, that's Planck's constant. 
and you have to use that constantly. Uh, you have to use uh, reduce Planck's constant to measure uh, orbits of electrons when or, um, electrons go from higher to lower orbits. It's by reduce Planck's constant, which I think is Planck's constant divided by two times pi. Um, but yeah, Planck's constant's used all over the place in physics um, to explain all sorts of things. Um, so the size of these quanta is given by his uh, equation, and no. Um, frequency and can move if not in a multiple of this constant. Um, any electromagnetic wave can essentially be thought of a set of packets or a set of quanta whose total energy determines the energy of the wave itself. Um, so energy isn't constant. There's, you know, waves. It's hitting it. Uh, the size of uh, quantum is specific for each frequency from the pre-mentioned equation. It is uh, apparent that Radiation of higher frequencies is, is composed of larger quanta than radi radiation of lower frequencies. Um, this solves the problem with black body radiation because it is increasingly difficult for a black body to emit radiation of higher frequencies, as it often cannot feed higher frequency quanta with enough energy. And thus, with low energy light, a uh, true black body would emit radiation in the ultraviolet, our visible spectrum, and infrared spectrums, and then stop. It wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't emit any more radiation after a certain point because of Planck's constant. Um, so there was even a little magic in classical physics. So uh, behold the double slit experiment. <laughs> Get you into what this is. Uh, physicists had a heated debate regarding the nature of light for a very long time on whether light acted as a wave or a particle. And in the beginning of the 19th century, Young's experiment or the double slit experiment, proved that light works uh, in wave patterns. So he proved the wave part of the argument. And uh, we later find that light has um, a duality of wave particle functionality. So, uh, but he proved that they are waves in the double slit experiment. And here's how it works. So if a wave reaches a small opening, it bends. So if you have a, a tiny opening that's slightly smaller than the... Um, particle itself, you have um, diffraction. So the wave is bending. It, it, it goes through it, but it, it bends and you see it. And um, the size of the opening has to be comparable to the wave, the wave waves wavelength for diffraction to occur. So you have to picture its wave as it's going because no particle just moves straight. It's going in a wave and every particle has its own wave and wave function and uh, wavelength and momentum and everything. So they're all different. Every single particle is like its own person. And um, when it's going through the small slit, you know, the, the waves wavelength, it has to be comparable to that for diffraction to occur. So think of honestly, to simplify it, think of water, think of dropping a rock in water and watching the ripples move from it, you know? And if you drop the rock faster or slower it's going to have a different wave right yeah if it's a um, larger rock or smaller rock of course it's a different wave but just think of that and then so if you have two slits you're going to have the wave come through in two different slits and then actually interact with one another so think of two waves in a river you throw two rocks and those two waves come at each other do they strengthen each other or do they not like if the crests of the waves reach each other you're going to have a higher crest and if like you have a lower trough hit an equally higher crest, it's going to cancel out the wave. Right. 
So this is what they're looking at with the double slit experiment. Um, so when the two waves of counter, they uh, do not collide, but strengthen or weaken each other, depending on uh, what its dis displacement is or its height. Um, so if two waves with opposite displacements, like I said, if the water has, you know, lower and high reach, it's going to cancel. Right. But if right. two crests come together, it's going to strengthen. Okay. So um, if interfering waves weaken each other, uh, we're talking about destructive in interference. If they're coming together and strengthen each other, they're called constructive interference. Um, and that's that. So in the double slit experiment, um, the slits are very close together. So you can see this happening with the waves of any particle. Um, light passes through both slits. You can use light. You can use all sorts of particles. Um, but there we're using photons. So when the photons pass through the slits um, or light, uh, it spreads to the medium behind the opening thanks to diffraction. Due to the small distance between the slits, the waves from the first slit meet the waves of the second and interference occurs. If we situate a plate detecting the position of individual beams of light that strike it, a specific pattern is created. It's called the so-called interference pattern, which consists of light and dark stripes. Um, light stripes are where the constructive interference occurs and, and dark patches are where the destructive interference was because there was decreased light intensity. If the light did not exhibit wave properties, then interference patterns would not be created. So the fact that particles are even moving like waves, you know, I think there's some magic there even. I mean, everything in <laughs> subatomic physics to me has a magic tone to it and you can see it you know in actual experiments right but i don't know if you have any thoughts on these things right now i wanted to get to the part about einstein oh okay all right i'll fast forward <laughs> uh it's a simple experiment demonstrating the wave nature of electromagnetic radiation the double slit experiment um and this original version of the experiment is not related to quantum mechanics in any way but using its modification we can later prove some of the strange phenomena in the micro world as we shall discuss um so we uh see now so that, that was light, uh, that was what? a very that was a very um basic simplified overview of a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. <laughs> right. I wanted to give a, like a layman's introduction to what we're discussing, just subatomic particles. And there's not going to be any math really um, no. a little bit, but not much. And yeah, just keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. People? What? Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, now we see light as a wave and uh, Einstein had to go and fuck it up. Um, he's like, nah, you know what? I'm going to still prove it's a particle. Uh, it's not just a wave. Typical uh, INTP has to, has to go against the, the grain of what everybody believes. There's, there's, there's arguments on whether he was a P or a J. Is there? Yes. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think he's a P, but it is what it is. I don't know. I, they're very similar. They are very similar. <laughs> a lot of ways um so yeah quantization of energy is how einstein accurately described the photoelectric effect for instance so um i'll just keep to my notes because i'll get too excited if i go off script uh that's when electromagnetic radiation hits a material with a frequency surpassing the frequency threshold of the electrons of the atoms composing said material 
Um, electrons are released from their atoms and become photoelectrons. So like every electron has its uh, own frequency. Um, once you surpass it and you excite it too much. So when a, when an electron goes to a higher orbit, it's excited. You know, when it goes back to its ground, it's, it's at its ground orbit. Yeah. But if you go past its frequency too much, it'll just leave the atom entirely, which is dope. And then you can control these electrons. And that's uh, actually how they, um, same, same process with um, uh, thermoelectric um, radiation is with x-rays. Right. So anyway, uh, photoelectric effect. Um, the experiment proves the particle nature of light. So instead of just being a wave, he proved that now um, light is, is a bunch of particles. So in a very tiny nutshell, he figured out that electrons absorb photons. Um, and it wasn't the amount of light available that caused the release of photoelectrons, but the frequency of individual photons, particles inside the waves of light. Um, so when a photon hit that electron at a frequency past its threshold, it would be released from the atom. Um, so light is both waves. Yep. And it is also particles. So are protons and so are electrons and yep. neutrons. Pretty crazy that they exhibit both properties. And we'll later get into some really crazy magical stuff or seemingly magical stuff. Um, so if the atom had a lower frequency than the light hitting it, no electrons are released. And uh, this is true regardless of the intensity of the radiation. And classical physics was not able to explain this. And we're now talking about quantum mechanics. Um, photons are identical to the energy quanta Planck proposed uh, to solve the problem with black body radiation. And Einstein was the first to realize the particle nature of the quanta and clarify the photoelectric effect. So now we understand that particles have a wave particle duality. And uh, it's beautiful. And in 1924, uh, French physicist Louis de Broglie uh, came in with the notion that every object has a matter wave. So he's thinking that everything moving has a wave behind it, that it's creating an actual physical wave that can be measured. All right. Um, he described it with an equation where the wavelength of an object um, is equal to Planck's constant divided by the momentum of an object. And so momentum, you have to keep in mind, is the mass of an object multiplied by its velocity. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, so wavelength is an object's matter wave. Uh, object's matter wave decreases when the momentum of the object increases. Um, the more massive the object, the smaller the wavelength is uh, the matter wave. The matter wave is smaller, the more massive the object. And this is why objects from the macro world do not exhibit wave-like properties. And uh, for diffraction and interference to occur, the size of the slits and the distance between them would have to be significantly smaller than the size of the object itself. Uh, you or I trying to run through some hole that's smaller than ourselves probably wouldn't turn out so great. Um, so that's the difference between the macro world and the micro world. <laughs> so the uh, bigger your mass in the micro macro world, which is the world we're in, the yep. less waves you actually produce. Correct. And then soon after De Broglie introduced his hypothesis to the world, a period often referred to as old quantum mechanics came to an end from nine. So his period was from 1900 to 1925. Yes. Man, the French just ruined everything. 
I mean, I mean, they make cool. they make everything better. Is what I mean. Because oh, is that what you mean? Yeah, because. Oh. Uh, well, well, we've got we've got a couple planned out, but well, we're gonna get into French philosophy too, and why that shit's fucking amazing. The French yeah. changed the world, really. When we think about it, not just on a <clears throat> like philosophical or cultural level or how we consume media, but when it comes to like scientific uh, inventions too, I think we give a lot of credit to a lot of uh, Germanic people, but the French really changed a lot of the way that the world is in the modern day mm. that I think goes very unappreciated. Well, people often hate on the intellectuals. This is very true. French. I mean, and they kind of have that air themselves like that. They are a little bit better than everyone, but in this case we can clearly see that they are. <laughs> well, I mean, Einstein wasn't French. And, no, but you know, I, Schrodinger how many, French. how many people know about the Broy though? Right. You know what I mean? I mean? And he changed quantum mechanics to correct, correct, you know, yes. kind of the iteration that it is today. Yeah, yeah, he's the one that conceptualized some type of wave being behind objects, bodies. Speaking of Schrodinger, so yeah, the basic phenomena of old quantum mechanics are the quantization of energy and wave particle duality. And then there comes this man of the hour, Irving Rudolf Joseph Alexander Schrodinger. Or just Schrodinger. Um, he adjusted de Broglie's inaccurate theory and assigned a so-called wave function to every quantum object. So instead of a matter wave, which was a uh, real thing to de Broglie, he, he created a completely abstract concept called the wave function. So instead of it being a real physical thing, he's saying this is, is, is a, a trace that this particle is leaving, like things leave a trace. And it has everything has its own wave function. Um, so it's not too far off from De Broglie, but it's more um, specific and real. So um, I'm just going to go down to wave functions donated by a capital or lowercase Greek letter psi and is a complex mathematical function in which all the properties of a given quantum object like momentum, uh, position, um, energy what time it's in and in time space uh that's where all that information is stored inside the wave function um and this is different from de Broglie's matter wave since uh de Broglie did not assign this property to his wave um and he also perceived it as like i said a physical object and schrodinger's is completely abstract um this set of properties of quantum object is called the quantum state um so once you find an, a, a particle's uh, wave function, you found its quantum state um, and it has its own mathematical symbol and is considered the most significant idea in quantum mechanics. And most of the phenomena we'll be discussing going forward uh, derives from the probability wave or the wave function that Schrodinger created. And uh, you may have fallen asleep, but it's time to wake up. So we're, we're, we're talking about quantum superposition right now, um, which is nuts. So we now know that the same rules do not apply in the micro world as opposed to the macro world. Um, entirely different set of rules. So I want that to really sink in here. Nothing works the same in the, the micro world. Um, so what you think you know doesn't even exist if you zoom in enough. <laughs> in the normal world, you can't fly from your home uh, to, say, Australia. If you're in the U.S., you can't fly to Australia um, at 700 miles an hour. And also walk down the block to, say, a friend's house 
uh, at three miles an hour at the same time. But in quantum mechanics, we see that this rule does not apply. Particles can be in many places at once. Um, so go back to the double slit experiment and interference patterns. Um, let's say that you uh, only sent one particle instead of a set of particles through the way the, the slits. You only sent one particle at the double slits, right? What, what, what normal thing would happen? You sent one thing at two holes, right? It either goes in one hole or slaps the wall, right? Right. Anyway, in quantum mechanics, one particle actually goes through both holes. Um, I'm sorry, you're and, saying holes a lot and I'm being immature. Oh, slits, <laughs> holes, <laughs> orifices. What happens when you put... <laughs> Moistly pulsating orifices. Anyway, remember oh, the double oh. slit experiment. <laughs> Let's just think about science here. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, um, you get an interference pattern with uh, one particle going through two slits. So just think about that. Classical physics is based on determinism. So if you know enough about a system, you can predict its next move. Um, if you know enough about, uh, say, a pair a dice and you roll them and like you know its weight and how much you know velocity and what the the material it's landing on how much it'll slow it down you know mm -hmm. you can determine what what side of the die you're going to see you know if you know enough about the solar system you can predict the next solar or lunar eclipse and this is all newtonian physics it's based on determinism right so if you shoot two bullets from the same gun the same um conditions uh it'll hit the same place but it's uh not true if you had like an electron gun or something and you you fired it each electron would act totally differently and hit the target in different locations some wouldn't even hit the target so um that's amazing and this brings us to quantum superposition which states that an object that is not being observed exists in all possible states at once and is in superposition so picture this you're now observing the particle going through the double slits. It only goes through one hole. That's a mind fuck right there. So if you're observing a particle, all of a sudden it's like, hey, this, this person's looking at me. I'm going to behave differently. Yep. Yeah. So no interference better. Um, so that's nuts. And then... Um, all because yeah. it's being observed. Yeah. And that's truly the magical part of quantum mechanics is superposition and the uncertainty principle. And it doesn't even matter if like, I mean, obviously you can't observe it like physically. I mean, you need, you need, you know, you need certain equipment to actually help you observe it. Right. Yeah. But like, even if you removed yourself <clears throat> completely from the experiment and like, I don't know, you just left it like set up and you ran yep. the test several times yep. each time you would get different results yep it's very yeah yeah it's interesting and i'm later going to talk about like how we look into space so often i'm wondering if we're ruining entire like populations of unobserved atoms but i guess they'd be observing themselves if they were around each other so that's a dumb concept but i wonder how much we're changing in space huh. by just observing out there but anyway there's also two main interpretations of quantum mechanics. The Copenhagen interpretation is the main uh, one that people believe, which uses the wave function uh, to, to describe observations. 
or then there's the mini worlds interpretation so that they believe particles are in many different dimensions um, and different time space continuums. So that's crazy. And then so Schrodinger's hat is often discussed to describe uh, Copenhagen interpretation. Uh, I'll use the more modern version <laughs> of the, the, the Schrodinger's cat uh, thought experiment. So he wanted you to think, say you have a box in which an atom of radioactive uh, element is located. Uh, radioactive element is an element that undergoes decay to lighter elements in a certain period of time. So it breaks down. Um, the problem is that one can never know when the decay occurs. Since each radioactive atom is described by a wave function that determines only the probability of the atom decaying over time. Uh, the probability of the decay occurring increases with time, of course. And this is how the so-called half-life was determined. So half-life is the amount of time after which the probability of an atom decaying is exactly 50%. So you take a bunch of radioactive elements, you watch them decay, 50 of them decay at a certain duration, and that's what you call the half-life. Okay? Right. And then... Um, every radioactive element has a different half-life ranging from fractions to seconds to millions of years. So some things out there that are radioactive are decaying over millions of years. And um, if you had 100 atoms of an element with a half-life of one year, 50 atoms would have decayed over one year. So back to the box. Say your uh, radioactive element's half-life was one day. So there's a 50% chance that when you open the box at the end of the day, it hasn't yet decayed and is still stable. Now, remember that a quantum object is in every possible state at all times unless it is observed. Um, man, your kids are going ham over there. <laughs> I'll go get them. Uh, you're going to get them? Yeah, I'll get them. Keep going, okay. though. All right. Now, remember that a quantum object is... Uh, in every possible state. Yeah, I already said that. So the atom is both decayed and not decayed until it is observed. It is in quantum superposition. Um, it is only when we open the box that the wave function of the atom collapses and it it basically decides for itself, I guess, what it wants to be, decayed or not. Like, seriously, what the fuck? That's like magical that every particle is is conscious or are they conscious this is the question you know like are these things thinking <laughs> or are they just instinctively um their wave function collapses when they're observed and whatever like we're talking about some insane stuff right now are they thinking on their own anyway so that's the updated version of schrodinger's cat um uh, the cat mindfuckery is where he envisioned a cat trapped in a box with a flask of poison. So the radioactive source is there. So if it um, decays, then a hammer breaks the flask of poison and kills the cat. Um, but then other people thought, well, wouldn't the cat be observing the radioactive element? Like, wouldn't wouldn't uh, decay be possible because of the cat's observations alone? Or like, would the, the wave function collapse instantly because the cat was there? All sorts of questions. And plus, it'd have to be a complete vacuum. The cat wouldn't be able to breathe. But this is why it's a thought experiment, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> you open the box, the cat's either dead or alive, or is the cat both dead and alive in quantum superposition? What? So if you do watch Rick and Morty, the one where they um, split up time-space, 
uh, and there was a bunch of cats in space. It was a shout out to Schrodinger for anyone that didn't know in that episode where, you know, Morty falls through the floor and he goes flying through space to catch him. Yeah, is that the, the one where, where Rick begs God to let him out? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And then he takes it back when he survives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the cats were a shout out to Schrodinger. Yep. Um. So enough with the redundancies and all this talk of Schrodinger. Uh, let's talk about the uncertainty principle. Um, and then we're going to get into some really weird shit. So say we have a bunch of electrons going through a slit. <laughs> like we haven't already talked about a bunch of weird shit. Anyway, <laughs> say you have a bunch of electrons going through a slit and uh, we've determined their combined wave function. We already know their wave function. Um, we can then find the probability of where they should uh, hit a detection plate, even though they're in superposition until observed. Um, if we make a, the slit smaller, we would think that we would narrow the pathway and then uh, narrow the possibilities of where the electrons could land on the detection plate. Um, and that does occur at first, but then when you make the slit smaller, it actually spreads where the electrons hit the detection plate. And this phenomenon is a consequence of the so-called Heisenberg uncertainty principle, which was in introduced by Werner Carl Heisenberg in 1927. Um, the principle states, that there are pairs of physical properties whose precise values cannot be known simultaneously. And the more precisely we know about one property, the more uncertainty there is about another property. So momentum and position are the mo most often talked about when we talk about properties of um, particles, but there's also time and energy. Um, but we won't get too much into that. Um, the more precise you measure something's momentum, the less certain you are about its position in space, for instance. So the more you, you uh, know about its position, the less you know about its momentum. Um, yeah, so the way it's denoted, um, the way he wrote it, uh, it's multiplied by the uncertainty in the position of this particle. It's always equal or greater, greater to the value of the reduced Planck's constant divided by two. Um, and reduced Planck's constant, like I said, was Planck's constant divided by two times pi. Um, the same is true with time and energy um, in regards to the uncertainty principle, but again, we're not going to uh, discuss too much of that, so onward. Uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is a consequence of the wave function. So say we want to measure a particle's momentum as accurately as possible, uh, with de Broglie saying that wavelength is equal to Planck's constant divided by momentum of a particle. Um, he showed that the momentum of a particle depends on the wavelength of its wave function. So momentum also equals Planck's constant divided by its wavelength. So yeah, momentum basically depends on the wavelength in a nutshell. Um, therefore, we can't accurately see a particle's wavelength if its wave function is too localized. So you have to have what's called a wave packet. You don't want the wave to be too spread out and you don't want it to be too narrowed in. You want a wave packet. Um, so if you zoom too far away, you won't see what's going on. If you zoom in too far, you won't see what's going on. Um, yeah, so if you want to measure like its position, you want the wave as, as localized as possible, right? But if you're trying to measure its momentum, you want it as spread as possible. So physicists have made what's called a wave packet so they can get accurate as possible you know, as close as possible to both the momentum and the position, okay? Um, 
Yeah. So the uncertainty principle is often mistakenly interchanged with the so-called observer effect, which is totally different. Um, and the observer effect is what I talked about before. You look at something, the wave function collapses. You know, it's a phenomenon that occurs every time a physical system is observed. Um, it states that a particle will inevitably change once it's observed. Um, so they would say when finding the position of an object using your vision, photons have to bounce off the object into your eyes. So its position is not the same as it had been before the observation occurred. Um, this has nothing to do with the uncertainty principle at all, because the uncertainty in the position of and the momentum of a quantum object exists all the time, regardless of the uh, presence of an observer. So even if you know its wave function and everything, um, there's still some uncertainty of its position um, and its momentum. So we can basically say the particle itself or something doesn't know its own position and momentum. I don't know. There's a lot of confusion around whether particles have its own sentience um, awareness. Um, explaining the uncertainty principle using the observer effect uh, says that in any time a system is observed, its state inevitably changes is just wrong. So here's a personal note. I was thinking about all this. When we start thinking about particles, knowing things, are we talking about the closest thing we actually know is magic? I mean, say you're an electron, you're in every state, you're going everywhere, you're, you're doing multiple velocities and, and you're in different places at once. And then all of a sudden you freeze up and you, your wave function collapses and you're in one position going one momentum because you know something's looking at you. <laughs> like, how does it know? How does it know? How does it know? So weird. Um, so yeah. Uh, all of a sudden you have to give away your location and speed or something. It's like a, a contract with the universe. <laughs> they signed some papers before they became an electron. <laughs> if you're ever observed, you will give away your place and time. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so yeah, that goes back to me thinking about like when we're looking out in the cosmos, like what kind of changes are we causing just by observing things? But yeah, maybe the particles in space are already observing themselves. I don't know. Put your comments, please, down below and let us know your thoughts on that. What um, do you mean by uh, how would we change space by observing it? Well, let's say there's certain pockets of vacuums, like say okay. the, the Boyetti's void or whatever that is. Correct. What if there's certain parts in that place that's complete vacuums and there's no particles present at all? Okay. Okay. And then right. we point our telescopes. Okay. So and we're about to talk about virtual particles. I haven't talked about virtual particles yet, but they just come in. They're called vacuum fluctuations. So there's always energy, right? So like, say, human beings. In a week, we use about 2.5 billion joules of energy. That's enough gigawatts to send uh, Marty and dude, scientist dude back to the future twice. Like energy always exists, right? But the right. uncertainty principle states that even in a vacuum, energy might or does come in and out of existence, which they proved. And right. they create virtual particles that are paired and they're like photons, but not they're, they're They just blip in and out of existence really fast. Mm -hmm. um, so say we point our telescope out there in space and we do something and, you know, change the wave functionality of, of virtual particles and vacuums. And 
I don't know. Like, I, I'm just thinking since everything since observed uh-huh. changes, the nature of it changes by us observing different pockets of space that we don't even know what's there. We're inevitably changing what's happening there in a very real way. And then that curtails into changing whatever's happening in parallel or right other yeah. universes. If, you're, if, if many worlds theory and string theory is correct, maybe we're changing different dimensional wave functionalities like who knows we don't even know what we're doing every time we do something we have no idea the consequences um so you're much (laughs) more in line you're less in line with many worlds theory um no i don't i i don't know enough calculus and and things to determine my own opinion on that you know um i think uh string theory and the is it 12 dimensions like i think it's a little far out there but i mean it's very possible there's many different worlds in different times at all times. And maybe we're all at, if you zoom out enough, we are as small as particles and we are in multiple places at once. Maybe we're walking in many different worlds at once, just like in Rick and Morty. You don't know, like no one knows. And that's the fun of it. So I don't, I don't try to conclude one way or another. Um, I'd like to think that we're the only thing, but I mean, we've proven time and time again, how small we are. We used to think that everything revolved around the Earth, that all other planets and stars revolved around the Earth, you know? And we come to find that we're on the outskirts of some galaxy in the middle of nowhere, on the outskirts of the universe that we can observe. Yep. We're we're just a blip in time and space. Yep. But who knows? Maybe we exist on many multiple dimensions. But anyway, keep in mind uh, that through every cerebral podcast that we're just regular, everyday, normal guys. Uh, there's nothing really special about us, so just like that song, <laughs> we may sound pretension pretentious sometimes, but it's probably a defense mechanism. <laughs> Disclaimer: <laughs> We need to focus on that part of our shadow. Anyway, on to quantum entanglement. Um, this is gonna sound really pretentious. Yeah, go ahead. But maybe we sound pretentious because we're talking about things that most people don't enjoy discussing or thinking about so then it comes off like we're smarty pants but that's that's not entirely the intention no i'm totally stupid i don't know any of the math behind any of this quantum mechanics um but i am interested in the concepts which i think well yeah all of you should be if if we take it if we take it even into a more layman's term of like because we're talking about a lot of things that are really you really have to dig into the minutiae to like even begin to comprehend it. But if you look to simplify it even further than it's been simplified, essentially, if you observe things at a very core fundamental level, they will either not react or react differently every time. <clears throat> and well, that kind of, that kind of proves to us that, because the scientific method is all about repetition, correct? Yeah. Like you need to repeat the same result many times over yeah. period. No, but every 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 quantum particle, every subatomic particle, its wave function collapses exactly when you observe it. Right. So, so that's been proven time and time again. So what this is proving to us then is that uh, we do not have anywhere near all the answers, nor will we ever. Exactly. And that's the interesting part about it, because then that allows you to get into the realms of and that's why quantum mechanics is almost 
it's not metaphysical, but it is kind of metaphysical in a way because although you can achieve some of the same results, a lot of it is just based in theory. Um, And it's smart theory. It's definitely smart theory because there's math and all that stuff that's involved with it. But at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is that we don't really know or understand as much as we would like to think. And that's what is great about these types of thought experiments and these discussions and these theories and stuff is because it shows not just how little we know, but how much further we'll we eventually have to go as well. Indeed. So, um, yeah, we're going to get into some really magical shit right now. The quantum entanglement. Um, it's a physical phenomenon that occurs when a group of particles interact or share spatial proximity in a way such that a quantum state of each particle of the group cannot be described independently from the others, including when they are separated by a large distance. Um, So say you have a particle on Mars that was entangled with a particle on Earth. One has an upspin, one has a downspin, but they're both in quantum superposition. So they both have up and down spins at the same time at all times. But they've decided long ago that once they're observed, one will have a down and one will have an up. So say you only observe the one on Earth and it has a downspin. The one on Mars is going to have an upspin at the exact same time, faster than the speed of light which pissed Einstein off. So Einstein was talking to these other dudes, Boris Podolsky and Nathan Rosen, and they came up with the thought experiment, the EPR paradox. Um, And they argued that the physical reality provided by quantum mechanics was incomplete. Um, So their thought experiment involved the paired particles I discussed, um, and they were in an entangled state. If the position of the first particle were measured, the result of the second uh, could be predicted without seeing it. Um, They argued that no action taken on the first particle, um, if an action was taken on the first particle, it would instantaneously affect the other. Um, Since this would involve information being transmitted faster than light, they thought it wasn't possible using Einstein's theory of relativity, hence why Einstein was upset. Um, And Einstein actually called this spooky action at a distance um he was really upset by this (laughs) and i think einstein was kind of religious as well so he didn't want to think that like you know things work off of a um, set way he thought you know time space had a set way of working this is how it worked and i was really upset it didn't work that way um that's because he was religious i believe he had yeah well he he wasn't he the one that said once you get far enough into science you find god again yeah I don't, if it, was that him? I don't know. Anyway, it might be a mis, it might be a misquote. It might be one of those internet things. But yeah, that that quote's generally attributed to him. Yeah, I don't know. Why would um, that? Why do you think that would play into him being upset though? There's there's uh, articles about him being upset during this time period when he's arguing with these guys. Hmm. But you think it's because he was religious? No, I think he had to, well, mainly he, he was upset because the theory of relativity could not apply to this. Well, yeah, no, it couldn't apply to that. Because that's his main thing. It is. his. That's his bread and butter. So I think is. that's the main reason he was upset. Ah, so his ego, his ego yeah, was ego. upset. Absolutely ego. Yeah. Okay. yeah, dude, once you get far enough into any um, specialty, you find your prima donnas and your arrogant fucks that always think they're right. Oh, yeah. Right? So, um, 
They invoked a principle later known as the EPR criterion of criterion of reality, posing that if without any way dist- disturbing a system, we can predict with certainty, with probability equal to unity, uh, the value of a physical quantity, then there exists an element of reality corresponding to that quantity. From this, they inferred that the second particle must have a, a definitive value of position and momentum prior to being measured. Right. So this con- contradicted the view associated with Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg, according to which a quantum particle to, does not have a definite value of property like momentum until the measurement takes place. So now this is saying that everything already has a set property, set momentum, set position, set energy and time, but you just can't uh, observe it till the wave function collapses upon observation. But it already had an end thing it already was that before it was it got popped out with that result before it was popped out even (laughs) how's that for meta um so again magic uh you observe one entangled particle and its paired particles wave function collapses at the same time talk about two birds one stone (laughs) dad joke of the episode uh, quantum tunneling is a quantum mechanical phenomenon where a wave function can propagate through a potential barrier. So quantum tunneling, this one's fun. Uh, you know, you, two hydrogen atoms should not be able to go through one another, right? Right. They do with quantum tunneling, baby. <laughs> like, what? Anyway, a wave function uh, could disappear on one side and reappear on the other side of a, a particle's barrier. Um, the wave function and its first derivative are continuous, so it's in a steady state. The, probabil- the probability flux in the forward direction is spatially uniform. This is all from like Wikipedia and shit. Um, no particle of wave is lost. No, no, uh, I mean, um, no particle or wave is lost. Um, tunneling occurs with barriers of thicknesses from one to three nanometers or smaller. Um, and so with quantum tunneling, uh, you get the, um, physical phenomenons like nuclear fusion. So they're not quite sure how um, stars, um, you know, form and come together and and like are creating helium. They're thinking it's quantum tunneling plays a large part. So look into that people. And uh, I'm just going to move right on to the Casimir effect with I personally is my favorite. The Casimir effect is my hands down favorite scientific experiment. So they put these two plates called the Casimir plates, one to three um, nanometers apart and inside a complete vacuum. Okay. There's nothing in there. Nothing. So after a while, they observed that these plates come together. So you might think, oh, this might be gravity. Like both of the the plates masses brought them together. Right? Mm-hmm. No, they ruled that out with this equation that he wrote. So... It's not the gravity. It's it's entirely what he found was called uh, virtual particles, uh, vacuum fluctuations. Energy just gets created. These particles just uh, exist inside this vacuum and push the plates together. And because there's more vacuum fluctuations on the outside of these plates than inside the plates, because there's less space inside the plates, mm-hmm. right? More okay. pressure from the outside pushing these plates together with the virtual particles. That is the most magical shit I've ever heard of. You're talking about inside a box with nothing in it, two plates coming together. It's not magnetism. It's mm-hmm. not 
any electromagnetic radiation in the box. It's entirely virtual particles pushing these things together. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, those virtual particles are also talked about with like Hawking radiation. So like with Hawking radiation, you have um, the event horizon of a black hole and virtual particles um, get created, you know, and, and one of the paired particle gets sucked into the black hole and the other one becomes a photon and also gets sucked in. Right. But that's why or it gets emitted. Um, it gets emitted. And that's why you see the event horizon. That's why you see that light circle around the black hole. OK. Right. It's because of virtual particles. One of the paired virtual particles is becoming a photon and going out. But either way, a smaller black hole evaporates a lot faster than a big black hole because it's basically eating itself a lot faster and it's emitting a lot more um, photons than a big one. OK. It's amazing. So yeah, virtual particles, they're a thing. And so particles appear and just disappear inside complete vacuums. Um, and if you have, uh, yeah, anyway, I just was saying, yeah, it's energy. It goes back to the uncertainty principle. Um, you never know. You never know um, any particle's energy level or um, where it is or how fast it's moving. Um, so many properties aren't known at all times and yeah, look up Hawking radiation and the Casimir effect. Um, yeah. Quantum computers. Also, I wanted to talk about <laughs> moving on. Quantum computers. <laughs> I can are... talk about, I can talk about Casimir effect for a long time, but quantum um, computers were interesting because I didn't know these were a thing until you had they're almost a thing. Well, yeah, they're not. I thought they were a thing. They're not quite a thing, but they're trying yeah. to to make them a thing, and they're interesting. Again, yep. the fact that like, if you observe them, like yeah. they'll not work. Like, exactly. I don't understand. So yeah, so with a normal computer, we use bits, which carry a binary code like zero or one, yes or no, on or off, right? Mm. A qubit has all of that at once. So it is a zero one. A zero and one at the same time, on or off at the same time, yes or no at the same time. And so with computing, you could do two things at once with one with one bit. So two normal bits take one of four values. So you get like one, 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 zero, zero, one, or zero, zero. Three bits give eight values. Four bits give 16 uh, values and so forth. But imagine if you had more than one qubit that can give you both values at once. Um so the way I understand, like eight normal bits can give you 255, 256 um, values, right, at once. And uh, eight qubits could give you 255 or 56 values at the same time, at the same time. So you could do 255 computations at the same time. Mind blown. So you could, like, send multiple different bits of information to multiple different places at the same time using the same bits. And once it's observed, they're talking about quantum encryption. So once your message is observed or whatever, you know, it gets encrypted or like wherever else it's being observed, it goes away. Like they're working on that. So they're using wave function collapse to encrypt information. Yeah, I know it's getting trippy, right? They're getting weird and they have to like keep these things in like super cold vacuum spaces and like, yeah.
it's 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 going to be great. But I just want to know if what the end of pi is because it obviously has an end. It's not three point one five. You know, it definitely ends before that. We have to keep in mind that decimal infinity is much bigger than normal real number infinity. So we've already gotten up to like billions of digits spaces mm-hmm. in pi with uh, supercomputers. Yeah. The trillions by now, but we still haven't found its end. So maybe the quantum computer will give us the end of that. Um, maybe it doesn't. Be... Maybe it doesn't end. It ends. No, maybe it, has it doesn't. To end. It has to, because it doesn't go further than 3.14. Because, you know, it keeps we, going. We think. Yeah. It maybe we on. don't understand. Maybe there is no end. I guess. No. I guess. I, I That would make me angry. Um. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's a lot of magic in quantum mechanics and we try not to be too nerdy or boring on the show. I probably failed on this one, but, uh, <laughs> you should definitely look into quantum mechanics and, uh, hopefully it blows your mind like it does mine. So what again, else? I'm not smart enough to understand the, the specifics of a lot of these concepts, but all of it intrigues me to, yeah, I get geek, you know, see, I'm geeked out right now. I'm geeky about it. Yeah. So I, 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 don't understand a lot of yeah. the weirder science, but I appreciate more the like when it comes to the math part. I I don't I don't get it. Um, mainly because mathematics tends to bore me more often than not. But when it comes to like all the different theories and the way that they're trying to understand the microcosms of the universe and then you see it play out even in like popular media and stuff like that um like if you ever watch the ant-man movies with the quantum realms um they're getting really scientific there and yeah they're entirely wrong though i mean they might be no entirely might be no they would have to be because like look how big your lungs are think of like oxygen molecules for instance if you were super tiny and tried to breathe in the same molecules you're breathing in now you would die i mean there's lots of different things that would kill you if you were you know zoomed into that micro world yes as we know now you wouldn't be able to breathe it's all theory come on We don't even know if pi ends or not. So, dude, think about it. You you would try to you try to breathe, and you'd probably take just one bit of a nitrogen molecule or carbon dioxide molecule or some other molecule, and you just completely die because there's nothing else to breathe because you're you're stuck inside a freaking helium molecule. You're in some other type of atom because you're that small. You would die instantly. You, <laughs> if you were in a pure oxygen molecule, for instance, you'd be so lightheaded. Come on, you can't do it. I was so mad about a lot of those things, like um, the Avengers when they like did their little time traveling bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or whoever did there. Yeah, it was just yeah, it was the Avengers. There's so, so many inconsistencies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was stood up in the theater. I was like yelling at people. You believe this shit? You did not. <laughs> no, I wanted to. Dude, I was angry in the theater. It's like, look what they did. Oh. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Yeah. I love it. 
All right. So quantum <laughs> mechanics. Uh, there's way more than that. Way more than that. Um, we didn't even really get into a whole lot of like mini worlds interpretations and God, there's a lot. Yeah, there's loop quantum gravity and string yeah. theory and uh, all sorts of different ways to think about things. There's apparently, there's quantum immortality and suicide and a lot of interesting, interesting things. Oh, so um, like if you commit suicide in enough dimensions that like you get more powerful in another one or what? <laughs> That's how you get people to drink Kool-Aid. Yeah. You could just tell them, you know, you die, you actually get stronger in another dimension. They'll be like, yeah. Huh. Yeah. That is Kool-Aid. one way to do it. Yeah. Anyway. Dude, there's so many ways to do it. People are stupid like that. They like to fucking follow people and be part of a herd for whatever reason and drink the Kool-Aid. Stop drinking the fucking Kool-Aid. <laughs> so for the next one message we're doing. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. So for our next one, we're going to kind of continue the science discussion, but we're going to do it in maybe a less scientific way. We're going to talk about the efficacy of science, scientific advancements clones ai neural implants is it good is it bad is it a positive thing yeah i think we might arrive at some interesting conclusions there yeah so you know should you be throwing black holes together maybe not maybe that's not a good idea trying to create them probably not probably not have you ever seen nobody pays attention to these these quantum physicists who are doing these crazy experiments yep Look at the, what is it called? The, why am I blanking? The largest particle accelerator. CERN, it's not, yeah, CERN. Yes. Uh, forgot the name of the actual accelerator. But yeah, they're doing experiments out there on the border of France and Switzerland, Geneva. <laughs> Check it out. 27 kilometer ring spinning particles faster than you should. Yeah. Colliding them. Having yep. fun. Creating little black holes. And, and everyone's shit. just like, oh, it's just nerds doing things. Eh, maybe. Right. It probably sent us into like five different dimensions already and we don't even know. Probably. <laughs> maybe that's how we got Trump. Probably. <laughs> actually, when it happened, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> but um, yeah, don't be a menace to South Central drinking your juice in the hood. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Oh, it's the Wayans brothers and it's fucking hilarious. And every once in a while, the mailman will pop out of the corner of the screen and say message every time <laughs> something serious is being said. So, All right. Stop, being, stop drinking the fucking Kool-Aid. That's all I got to say. All right. We hope you guys enjoyed this very long quantum mechanics, weird science theory thing. I like your hair better like that. Like what? Like it is now. Oh, pulled back. It's, yeah. Yeah. It looks like, you know, distinguished in the front party in the back. It's like the new version of the mullet. It's better. I mean, as it gets longer, I'm going to I'm going to do a big old braid yeah. for it. Viking know? braid. Yeah, there you go. Viking braid. You should Viking braid the beard too. <laughs> Grow it out and Viking braid the beard? Absolutely. Why stop at just the hair? Like, share and subscribe if you want me to grow a viking beard out. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you guys on the next one.
Love, Love y'all. Hope you liked the quantum mechanics episode. <laughs>